I just feel like there's 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 two things. I first of all, I just want to from a from my heart really say thank you guys for spending your time and your money and effort and all the things that you do. Our volunteers are just like you know, drive 12 hours and show up and just service and Tribe, Sue here. What you're about to listen to is Gary's talk from a Rethink Retirement held in Gainesville, Georgia. If you want more information about how you can see Gary and possibly Lisa at Rethink Retirement, go to RethinkRetirement.org. All right, let's jump back in. change our hearts. I, I woke up this morning as my normal morning uh, about between four and six. And <clears throat> I wake up to anywhere between six and 25 messages from young people around the planet. This morning, it was a little Sunday morning, thank God. So there was like three or four. It's usually a little slower on Sunday mornings. And I, and I'll, and I'll, let me just tell you the truth. I wake up to a lot of encouraging messages. Um, my Gab, she's my heart girl. She'll she'll send me just, I love you. I'm praying for you. I believe in you. We've got a nickname, little Pip Campbell in, in Paris working with uh, refugees. And she sends me encouraging messages all the time. But most of them are bad. Most of them are, I'm ready to kill myself. Um, or from a parent whose kid had just killed himself, which I hate being the expert. I hate it. If there's anything that I hate, I hate that but it's a part of my call. Anything that happens to us and goes in us and that we have to be transformed by then becomes our ministry to transform others. So if you're a depressed person, thank Jesus you're depressed because now you get to set a bunch of depressed people free. If you're addicted to pornography, awesome. That's beautiful. Go, go get transformed by it. Quit asking why it's there and let it transform you or ask why it's there and what it's doing and then get transformed by it so you can transform others. Quit complaining about your sin or your what we call sin. It's there for a reason to teach you something so that you can be transformed to transform others. Amen? Yeah. We've, we've taught the scripture really just off. And I just want to clean a couple things up on that. I'm in a really raw spot as a man, as a human. Um, learning how to be ordinary is very difficult for me. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I'm... My unredeemed aid is not, not a good person. Um, I don't know if you know Enneagram, but, and I don't, I'm not that passionate about it, but I do believe it does help us to understand sometimes. Um, Andrew hates them, so we don't talk about them in front of Andrew. So. <laughs> um, but I, I, I mentioned this. I've been a student of the heart now for almost three years, and, and I want to give you a little bit of the background on that. I there's a man uh, in his 80s, his name is John Smeltzer. And John Smeltzer was the right-hand man of a guy named John Wimber. And for you young people, John Wimber uh, birthed the Vineyard Churches. He had a huge split with a guy named Chuck Pierce, and he planted all these other churches, uh, Calvaries, and some of the vineyards have become Calvaries, and some of the Calvaries have become vineyards, and it's like this cross-cultural thing. Uh, John Wimber was incredible. Uh, one of my mentors for many years, a guy named Mike Bickle, was uh, kind of John Wimber's golden boy. Um, and John Smeltzer, the Lord woke him up. He was he had planted 22 vineyard churches. He was um, in the line to take over for John. 
if, he, if something would happen to John. And God woke him up and said, uh, John's going to die, and I want you to move. I want you to leave the church. And he told him the date that John was going to die, and he said, Please, you know, told him not to, to talk about it. And so John, before about three months before the date that God told him John was going to die, resigned from the church and moved to Dallas. He was in his 60s uh, and maybe late 50s. And so he did that, and the date came, and John didn't die. And he was like, God, what are you doing? And he's like, do you trust me? And John's like, yeah. So John has his master's in theology, divinity. John is a clinical psychologist, has his master in psychology. Hi, hi, thank you. Um, brilliant, educated man, been all over the world. He moved and he was hidden all of a sudden in Dallas. And all he was doing was counseling. Now he counseled thousands and thousands of people, marriages and those kind of things. But that's what he kind of took off the stage and then kind of hidden in Dallas. Well, a year to the date later, exactly, John died. God had to remove John out of there for at least a year so they wouldn't come back and ask John to then replace him because they had somebody else in line to do that. And when John tells a story, it just kind of opens you up. Well, I had a ministry in the, in the 90s called Rock the Nations that turned into a small movement. And I, we birthed it out under Mike Bickle in Kansas City and then moved it to Colorado Springs. And... Um, one of my interns, his whole desire, his name was John McAllister, was to become Paul Kane. He was the next Paul Kane. He was a 22-year-old little brat, spoiled Oklahoma kid who just thought he was the next huge prophet uh, in the world. And so everywhere I took him, he would drive me crazy, but I loved his heart so much because he was so passionate. Uh, and this, he married this, one, this girl, Hillary, and Hillary, John Smeltzer, was her spiritual father. And John stopped doing weddings for years, but did their wedding. And then he started taking my friend, Johnny, I call him Johnny Cat, through uh, just a journey of the heart for years. And literally, John became a fireman in Oklahoma because he just learned that he needed to be an ordinary man, and that was okay. If he would just learn to be ordinary and not become this great prophet or to do these great things for God, if he would just stop trying to love God and let God love him, he might get healed. And so John did that. And so a few years ago, I was staying with him at his house. He's becoming a missional community for us. And he handed me these documents that John Smeltzer had, had written, 26 pages. And he'd been asking me to read these for years and years and years. And I just, you know how, you, know how you go. You're just going and there's 50 books lined up and you just don't do it. So he just literally got on his knees and said, I need you to read this. So I got on the airplane and I started to read this and I literally melted into my seat. I, I began sobbing profusely on the airplane. And I knew God obviously was up to something. And as I was reading these documents, that's when the father told me what I told you guys. He said, do you know that you put shame and rejection on your own daughters? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, your silence, your academic silence is what put shame and rejection on your family. I want you to go crawl to them on your face and I want you to repent to your adult children and to your wife. And I want you to start to heal their hearts because I'm going to start healing your heart. Now I'm three years into God healing my heart and I'm the most raw that I've ever been. Over New Year's, this past New Year's, we stopped by John and Hillary's again because we drive all over the country when we come in and visit our missional communities and we're just trying to plant kingdom 
around America because this generation stopped going to church. Thank God, to be quite honest. Love the church. Bride, the Bride of Christ is amazing. But we've told them, like I said, go to church every Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then we're going to get divorced, and we're addicted to pornography and all the things. And they're like, I don't want that church. And the church, quite honestly, needs to look like the generation. I really am a believer still, and I've been preaching this for a long time, haven't I, Gene? Gene was my secretary in Rock the Nations in 1999 when my whole world got blown up. Brittany Baker's uncle was a part of Rock the Nations in the old days and came to all our events. I love the way God, you know, there's just no separation of time. It's just brilliant. Uh, and so this, this church, the church now needs to look like the generation. It needs to birth from them. And we need to actually steward that with them. We need to be, come alongside of them and quit telling them how to do it and actually become it with them. See, we don't go find the will of God. We are the will of God. Right? We don't, we don't need to go pray. We are prayer. We become prayer. We, need, we are the most religious. We are so much more religious than we want to admit. I promise you, every one of you are more religious than you want to be. I am a religious man. My idea of Christianity in the 90s when I had Rock the Nations was all in my head. It was all psychological. It was all what I could do for God. Because I was raised. Now, I want to tell you, I'm a recovering evangelical. I'm a big-time recovering dispensationalist. As I enter into, the older I get, the less I know and enter into more of the mystery. My life is being transformed. And I want to encourage you, the only way to journey out of religiosity is to go into the mysteries, to go into the unknowns, to actually live a life of liminal space where you have no idea what's next, you have no idea what the Father's doing, you don't know how you're going to get there, and you go, oh, good. Thank you, God. And we get to trust the Father at a whole other level Right? And so these kids message me every morning. I don't know what to do. This morning was one of our punks. We love him. Dated a girl too quickly. We told him not to. He did it anyway. And now they're broke up and they're both devastated. So I get to do this this morning for my first half hour. You're okay. I promise you it's going to be too. Go to your heart. Call me. Let's pray. Right? That's just how the day started. It was awesome. We have a lot of marriages happen out of G42, but we take it very seriously. Andrew teaches these young men how to pursue the hearts properly. We teach uh, very well. We go very, very slow and steady. But there's a lot of, we've got two in one family. My gosh. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we'll pray for him. Uh, And so I want to give you just a couple scriptures and just lay a little foundation. I'm going to share my own, a little personal story. And then I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? Can we lay our hands on our hearts for just a second? We do this uh, every morning in, Ro- in, uh, in Rock the Nations, in uh, G42. It all runs together. Jesus, help us. Um, and we, I teach this for a week or 10 days out at uh, G42. And uh, the Father just honestly just walks in the room. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew our strength. We wait in our hearts. And, and the generation doesn't know how to wait. They're a McDonald's generation. I get it now. I want the relationship now. I want to be the prophet now. Right? And God says, no, no, those that wait upon me renew their strength. And so we just wait sometimes in the classroom. 
and it's awkward. My wife always like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, We sit and then a half hour will go by and I'm just waiting for dad to do something because I know I can't do it. I'm an ordinary man that becomes extra extraordinary when he walks in the room. When he walks in the room, the whole room changes. Therefore, when I walk in the room, the whole room changes. Because I'm a heart man. I'm a man that walks in with an open heart and I'm going to love you where your heart is. I'm going to actually feel your emotions and experience what you're experiencing. And I'm going to live in the now with you instead of thinking about what I'm going to say next to you. Instead of thinking about how I can fix you. Instead of thinking about what's next, what meeting I need to go to next, or the call that I need to make, or the emails that I'm behind on, I'm going to stop everything if I'm sitting with you, and I'm going to enter into your heart as you enter into my heart, I'm going to experience who you are. It is the only way that we can actually live Christianity. And we have not been taught this, and God wants to do some heart surgery, I believe, on the whole body of Christ, but on some of us this morning. So Father, in Jesus' name... We welcome you, this is a little scary for some of us, to come and do heart surgery. Just tell them, Father, I invite you, I say yes, to come and do some heart surgery on me this morning. Father, we invite you to open our hearts. We want to feel what you feel. We want to see, Ephesians 1.18, what you see. Father, we want to know what it means to actually serve a generation into your kingdom. Yes, Lord. Can you feel that? The Father just walks in and says, okay, are you serious? Take a real deep breath and a breath out. Let me read a couple little things to you. Um, I'm, some of what I'm doing is selfish because I want you to come and help us. I'm not trying to give you a sales pitch on anything that we're doing, but I'm an incredible salesman. I can sell an air fryer to any of my friends. Air fryers flipping rock. If you don't use an air fryer, buy an air fryer and then give me some money. It'll be awesome. It'll change your life. <laughs> That's a deep spiritual <laughs> right from being in the heart with the Father to buy an air fryer. That's what good salesmen do, yes. And give me money. Shaka, yes. How many of you love the Trinity, the triune dance? Right? 98% of every message preached on Sunday morning in America never mentions Holy Spirit. Almost the same amount never really talk about Jesus. It's Father, Son, Holy Bible. And I think God wants to wreck the whole body of Christ with doing what Jesus did by living from the heart. Jesus trained his senses. I'm going to read you a scripture. 
He trained himself. Remember the woman that was hemorrhaging and she comes and just touches his cloak. She doesn't touch his body. And the disciples, you know, the disciples were pretty dim-witted. It took them a long time to get stuff. Even after he was gone, they weren't real bright. They're like, we're still taking over Jerusalem, right? They just didn't get it. Took them a while. But he touches, he gets touched and he knows it because his senses were trained. I'm going to read you a verse in Hebrews that we literally can train our five senses to be fully aware into the people that are around us. The way that I get dive into Jackson's heart is I just try to feel what he's feeling. And it's a scary thing. <laughs> he's a beautiful boy. He just doesn't know it yet fully because he's has to wrestle through all of this hard stuff. It's really jacking with his head. See, what we've done is we taught a whole generation and we were taught to live out of our heads, our cognitive thinking. And what we say at G42 all the time is that we have red heart, hot hearts and nice cold brains. Right? Red heart, passionate, beautiful hearts. And we have ice cold brains that say, when I got to do something, I got to do it. Discipline. Right? Living, just do, making our bed first thing when we wake up will change your life. Right? We haven't taught the general. We got, we got people coming with double masters that are 28 years old and nobody's ever taught them how to, to cook. Nobody's ever showed them how to clean a house properly. And it's because moms are at work. Dads are normally gone. What, 50% of every white American home in America, dad is gone. Another 30% of those, dad is totally silent. 70% of every African-American home in America has no father. 66% of Hispanic homes. We are a fatherless, broken, dysfunctional generation. And we were raised in dysfunctional homes. My home was dysfunctional. The house I raised my kids in was dysfunctional. It was religious. And I taught my kids how to do Christianity instead of becoming Christ on earth. See, I don't want to talk about getting to heaven because heaven's not the point. I want to bring heaven to earth every day on the planet. And every heart that I meet gets to turn into the Garden of Eden because I'm entering that heart and I'm actually ministering with that person, not for or to that person. I'm being ministered to the same way that I'm giving my heart to that person. Does that make sense? It's hard to get for some of us because we're all head people. I always tell the kids, the longest journey we have to ever go is from here to here. The hardest thing, because they get trapped in their heads, and their heads start thinking, right? Like I said, that wolf hour from 3 to 6 a.m., our heads just go negative instantly. And we get trapped in our heads, and we can't ever get out of our heads. And God says, I want to teach you how to take that and let it come through your heart. Because Proverbs 3 says what? Wisdom and understanding are in your heart, not your head. Ecclesiastes 3, he says, I put eternity. I set eternity in your hearts. You can't wrap your mind around living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But your heart can wrap its mind. It's the mind of the heart can wrap itself around that. I can show you there's 841 scriptures on the heart in the Bible. Talking about just the heart of us. 190 others about the heart of the ocean of the heart. There's only 690 scriptures about the spirit. And there's only 190 scriptures about the soul. So we've missed something in the body of Christ here. And I'm going to read you Hebrews 4, which is probably the number one quoted scripture in the Bible that we've been taught completely wrong what it means in just a minute. Amen? You with me? You guys ready to do some surgery? <laughs> the Church of America and in the West is destructively religious. I was destructively religious. I was so religious that it damaged the ministries and churches that I was a part of. And it damaged my family, 
And I did not know that I was religious. And I did not know that I was damaging them. A lot of my buddies that I ran with in the 90s are doing these great big huge events all over the world. And they're just still kind of trapped in their religion. It's, it's not about planting the kingdom as much as it's about getting everybody saved. And God isn't real interested, I said it last night, is he not real interested in revival or reformation even? He's, he's interested in transformation of hearts. He's looking for a generation that's transformed by the love of Christ because love is the point. Anything else is a waste of time. And we were not taught how to love our neighbor. We weren't even taught how to love ourselves. How in the world are we going to get to Ephesians 4 unity when we don't know how to love ourselves or love our neighbor? Right? There's no way. The only way is to model how Jesus lived completely and totally from his heart at all times. It's incredible. I don't know how I missed this for so many years. And like I said, I'm raw, so forgive me if I get a little emotional and raw here. The truth is, okay, I want, I want to say this. I didn't know this until I encountered first Andrew 20-some years ago. That's the first time I ever heard a hopeful kingdom message <coughs> in my whole life, raised in the church. I never missed the church when the doors were open. First, we were Christian Missionary Alliance, and then we were Pentecostal, open Bible churches. So, yeah, really, there's like 500 of those in all of America. So that's good. I was their national youth pastor. Yeah, anyway. Thank, thank you. I bless the open Bible in Jesus' name. And then secondly, I didn't know that I had to live from my heart and what I did to my kids until my son Michael died. And I didn't know it when he died because I wanted to die just like he did for a couple of years. I, didn't, I couldn't move. I didn't know where I was. I, I, I listened to him and I had a well-worn path to the tree of life in the good days. So I crawled on my hands and my face and, and over and over to get to the tree of life to stay alive for a long time. And I'm going to end this morning with what happened when we first moved almost five years ago to Spain. Now, and I want to say this because Seth Barnes is back there. If Seth invites you to come and sit on his porch with him, don't do it. <laughs> He's a sweetheart. You think it's going to be this awesome conversation. And then all of a sudden you're going to wake up and you're going to be in Africa somewhere. Every time I've sat on his porch, three different times I've ended up in another country with my whole family. Avoid his porch. And I want to say this. The reason I'm standing here in this room today is because I have been in a lot of green rooms around the world. And I'm not saying this at all out of, used to be out of my ego. It's, I don't think it's any ego right now. I used to travel all over the world. and I preached to millions of people. And I spent a lot of times in green rooms with a lot of names that you know. And I've looked behind this green room and this curtain for years now, and I've looked behind that man back there, Seth Barnes. There's very few people like these two men on the earth. I can promise you that. They are who they are in front of you, or we know what he's looking. They're the same person, and that's rare to find on planet earth. And it's why Lisa and I sold everything again and moved to Spain. Because we're going to serve men that actually have pure hearts. And Jesus told me something last year at the beginning of the year. He said, I'm going to remove anybody and everybody that have a religious heart because I do not want it imparted on the next generation. I'm, I'm tired. I'm done with it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I will not allow a spirit of religion or just a, a, a thought of religion. It's not even the spirit of religion anymore. We just are religious people. We've not learned how to live from the heart. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to remove... I'll remove you, Black, if you keep imparting religion, religiosity, onto the next generation. 
That's how passionate I am about this. Can I say those things? My, my Christianity was all humanistic. It was not by the Spirit of God. It was built in my mind, and I had a closed heart, and I didn't know it. I had a blind, a hard, and a hidden heart. I hid my heart from my family, specifically my two adopted girls. I didn't know how to give them my heart, and it damaged my children. Now, my girls and I, I, I literally crawled to them a couple years ago and just poured my spirit into them. We held each other for hours, and we wept, and we wept, and we wept. And we're still in process, but we are very, very close. They call me first now before they call their mama. <laughs> I really, I really like it. <laughs> now, of course, all my boys call their mama first, but... Let me ask you a question. Do you hear from God on a normal basis? Do you hear from him every moment, moment to moment, every day? Are you hearing God? If you're not, you're not living a true Christian life. See, what we've done is we've told you to not do experiential Christianity. And it's a lie because it's all about experiential Christianity. It's not about living in your head and how much theology you know and what degrees you get. Those are awesome do them, although I don't let many of our young people go to theology school because it ruins more people than helps them because it's all head, right? And so I want to ask you, how many lines have you stood in at the conferences? How many times have you run to the front? How many times have you tried to get to God and hear him and you don't? And God says, I'll do that with you every day, moment to moment. I'll teach you how to live like Jesus did if you'll start to live from your heart and get out of your head. How many of you want to live like that? And I know some of you do. I know some of you are hard people. I love that. I'm learning. It's going to be a lifetime. John's in his 80s now, John Smeltzer, and he literally stopped everything he's doing now. He wouldn't publicize any of these papers. He did an eight CD series on the heart in 2009, and they gave it to me, so I had to go buy a little Walkman. <laughs> And for the last month and a half, I've been sitting and weeping and devouring these CDs. I literally transcribed every single word. One of our alumni, Rashida, is actually turning it into a PowerPoint right now for me. And it wasn't that I was just taking something from somebody, because John and I have had many conversations. It's that it's becoming me. It's becoming my message. And my stories fit inside of this heart thing. And I realized my dad was a bull rider. He was a cowboy. He didn't know how to be a dad. His dad was a raging alcoholic and beat his mom to death in front of him. His dad would pull guns on him and pull the trigger and the bullets wouldn't fire. And my dad still has the bullets. He's 81 years old. My 98-year-old great uncle told me last year that my dad, he, my dad had the worst life of anybody he's ever known from the depression on. I show up, my older brother, my special needs sister, and me the baby, and dad doesn't know how to be dad. And I get kicked off the basketball team at 16 years old, and, I, and I, the only game my dad came to, he was a workaholic, the only game he came to is the game I wasn't playing in. And I got up because I was frustrated and mad at my coach. I think I drank a couple beers before practice and they smelt the beer and they kicked me off the, not good. <laughs> That's why Andrew's in my life. <laughs> Not about right and wrong, Andrew. It's about life and death. Come on. <laughs> That's a good one, actually. 
<laughs> Not about black and white. It's about mystery. Come on. Okay. His arm comes around me, and he's walking me out of the gym. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I follow his arm. I only want to make a video of this because it felt like slow motion. I was scared to death of my dad. He, would, he had his finger like this, and he just walked by us in the restaurants and dinners, and he would just thump us in the back of the head you know, to straighten up. And he had a bull bat, a leather bat that he would beat us with. And my brother would get blacked out. By the time he got to me, I wouldn't quite black out, but he just didn't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of every way to die going home. So I walk in the kitchen. He's up against the counter with his arm. Now, if you met my dad today, you'd go, you're a liar, Black. He's the sweetest, most tender man on the earth. We still fight like crazy because we're both eights and it's intimacy for us. We love it. Like scripture, we just argue scripture all the time. He's my radical dispensationalist. He's going to hold on to that to his grave. I love it. And we just go for it. It teaches me so much. But he's leaned up against the counter with his arms crossed and that scowl on his face that scared the bejesus out of us. And he's getting ready and I just go nuts. I just start screaming at my dad, knowing that I'm going to get hit, knowing that my head could roll across the kitchen floor at any moment. I screamed for, I think, two hours. I told him I could never live up. I'm never good enough for you. I hate God because of you. I, I just went on and on and on. He didn't say a word. And when I got done, there was tears streaming down his cheek. And he said to me this. He said, you know, if I lined up all your friends, and he named a bunch of my buddies, he said, I'd choose you, and I didn't know you, I'd choose you every time to be my son. He said, you are the most radical, amazing young man I've ever known. And I've ever seen, and you're going to do great things on the planet, and you've got a lot to learn, young man, but I would choose you every time to be my son. And you know what God showed me the other day as I was going through this hard stuff? He said, I was showing you a little piece of the father's heart to your dad. And I'm literally writing a book, The Death of a Boy. It's, um, it's, in it's with my son that died and with my little boy that's dying. It's in concert with the two. And God's showing me as I'm writing this book, the glimpses of the father's heart through my dad who didn't know the father's heart. He knew religion. But God would still show up and show me the father's heart through my dad. And now fully and completely at 81. <clears throat> Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love God with your whole heart our whole, entire, complete heart. I have learned from my own deep study, my own sufferings, my own failures, my repentance, my transformation, learning to live from the heart and hold everything the same. Let me, let me explain to you what this has started to do for me. And I had to do this with my son's death. I had never in my life learned that pain is the greatest teacher. I could say it. I could read it. And I could say that's a good statement, but I don't really believe it, probably. But then I began to not anesthetize my son. I didn't drink him away. I didn't drug him away. I didn't push him away and work like crazy. I learned to sit with the pain. And it was, it was, it was horrible. It was disturbing. Day after day. And then I'd think I'd see him somewhere. And I'd have to go back. And then I'd take a deep dive and my friends would come and help me just learn how to breathe again. And I came down to 
to Georgia and Mark Allman sat with me. Mark's back there at a table and he just held, held my hand the whole time during dinner just to keep me alive and aware during dinner because I, I wasn't aware. I, couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. But I allowed the pain of my son to begin to transform my heart. And I allowed Michael to start becoming a gift to me instead of I was a horrible father. I was so religious, I killed my own son. Instead of all the accusations, I was kind of known as the father guy in the 90s. I would preach at all these crazy governmental things and with all these crazy radical leaders, Islam and, and, and cultish stuff. And, and then my own son took his life violently. He didn't die simple. He died a violent, horrible life. And when it happened um, and I got the phone call, Lisa, it was snowing. Lisa started raking the front yard in the snow at 3 a.m. And um, my family went into shock. And I had to fly to St. Louis because he was at school on a rugby scholarship. And um, Seth had beat me there and he was already there to get me. My oldest son was there and a couple of our world racers from the original world race, Chad Mass, and a couple of guys had driven and beaten me there. Um, and they walked me up to where he fell out of a four-story window and um, where he'd hit. And I, d I couldn't walk, so they carried me. And I looked and there was this one little purple flower growing. It's the only thing I remember from the day. But there's this one little purple flower, and I get all these words all the time about purple flowers now. And my daughter on her sleeve that she has, my daughter loves one of, all of my kids like tattoos, but one of my daughters especially, which I've learned to love. Embrace the pain of the tattoos. She's a poppy seed, like the, the, only, the only flower, and it's purple, that grows after war. And she's, Daddy, that's you. That's who you are. And so what I can tell you from that is that what I can tell you with Miles and Britt and Amy and all these guys is that we just keep showing up. Amen? Mm -hmm. We just keep showing up anyway. If I've just been encountered with Michael's death in my heart and I don't even know what to do with it and I walk into the classroom, I'm on. Not fake. I can be vulnerable. But I just somehow now rise above it and the Holy Spirit comes and I turn from ordinary to extraordinary because of the Father, and I just rise above it. And Andrew will look at me, and he'll sometimes slap me a little bit, a little bit hard on the face, say, you're fine, Black, let's go. And then I'm fine, and we go. But what I've learned to do is hold really good news and really bad news the same. If I get a call and it's incredible news, and hey, Black, we got this whole new thing, and you're going to go preach to the stadium, let's do it. I go, nah, probably not, but okay. And if I, get, I wake up and I get bad news from my kids and something's happened and somebody's in a car wreck or something else, I go, okay, Father, what are we doing? It doesn't control my life. My emotions do not control my life. I actually rule my emotions. Not because I'm cool or great or a big Christian or any of those things. I'm an ordinary man. But because I've learned just how to hold it all the same and let it do what it's supposed to do because I know it belongs. Because everything belongs. Everything. The bad news, the good news, the sin issues, the addictions, all of it belongs because it's all there to teach us something really radical and really great so that we can be transformed so that we can actually transform a generation. If we're not willing to go into the depthness of the generation and learn how to transform their hearts with them, this is pointless. There's no reason to do this. You can keep going to your comfortable seat at that comfortable church and being trapped by comfortability. It is the spirit of America. And you can live a nice Christian life, 
And 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that you'll escape the flames. It's not a heaven and hell issue. No. It's an inheritance issue. Right. What is your inheritance? It's not about me getting to heaven. No. Escaping this horrible world somehow. It's about how many of these guys am I going to drag into heaven with me? What's that train look like? Yeah. Not because I'm some great, awesome preacher that goes all over the world. Because I sit and listen when I'm with Gabrielle, it's Gab and no one else. It's just her and I, and we just connect hearts, and we connect soul, and we just go yes to the Father, and the phone's off and put away. And when I'm with my wife on a date and she says, no phone, I'm like, yes, ma'am. Done and dusted. No distraction. Can I say these things? Yes, yep. These kids need your hearts. They don't want your heads. They don't care what you know and how many networks you have, how many things you've built. They want you, but they want you transformed because transformed people transform people. And then God comes and he uses people like me in your life and he comes and he wounds our wounds. And he comes and he touches wounds that we have and he starts to bruise them because I'll speak the truth in love all the time. Can I tell you how to establish boundaries in your life? Stop cutting people out of your life because they abuse you. Forgive them immediately Bless them and draw boundaries in the spirit by speaking the truth in love and move on. Because we have to have an open heart to everyone on the planet. We have to forgive instantly. We have to love always. We don't just get to choose who we love and who we don't. And sometimes our soul, we have two chambers in our heart. Sometimes we're in our soul. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. Right? My soul, ah, and I go, well, wait, that spirit, bless him in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus is in Gethsemane. What does he do in his soul? He said, God, take this from me, man. This sucks. He's bleeding, tears. And then he goes, nah, not my will, but your will be done. He's on the cross. What does he say? God, where are you, Dad? What the heck are you doing? Oh, but they don't know what they're doing. I love them. He gets in his soul. He's not in sin. He goes to his spirit. Over and over and over in the scripture. I promise you, you know, it's like if you want to buy like a yellow Volkswagen. Like there's none of them on the road. I'm going to buy a yellow Volkswagen. The next day you see 55 yellow Volkswagens. When you start reading the scripture from the heart, you're going to see the heart in everything. It's everywhere, right? Okay, I'll finish up. Ten minutes. Ah. <sighs> I was going to give you the four secrets of the heart. Listen, I have a, a, a GaryandLisaBlack.com. I'm doing an, I've been in the middle of an eight series podcast. I'm two of them come out. The third one will come out on Friday. I want to really encourage you. Not for us. Doesn't do anything for us. Go listen to those. Um, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud, and it just go on. And uh, it seems heady, and it's all heart, which is tough. Um, but I want to encourage you to kind of dive in. There's four secrets of the heart that I was going to give us this morning, but we don't have time. Um, so just go in there. If you want notes, glad to give you the PowerPoint, all the stuff on this. Um, I want to share a story with you that transformed my heart and the reason why we're here today. Uh, so in 1999, um, we were calling the youth of America to prayer and fasting. We had 10,000 people in an auditorium and I had, uh, the founder of YWAM and all these guys on my board and they were all there speaking with us. And my first wife was mentally ill, tried to kill us many times. 
um, and I had three boys. And uh, she took the three boys and ran off with a pastor of the church that I was a part of and did a restraining order against me and disappeared. And this was all during our event. Jean was there. Jean and a couple of intercessors saw blood being poured over me in the spirit. And everybody thought it was about me becoming a martyr. And it was actually about me dying that day because I, I literally died that week. Um, I was in love with my first wife, but she would break the whole house apart. She would pull guns on me often. Um, they, they actually made a documentary of our lives about that part of our life, which we hadn't even started yet. And at that time, it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. You know, after Michael, it seems like simple things, but um, they were gone and I couldn't find them. And my pastor at the time looked at me and he said, you know, Gary, I know you're innocent. I've had the elders look into this. We've, we've gone into this journey with you, but you're making us look bad. So I'm going to blackball you. And I was bankrupt in three months. My ministry was gone. Instantly, when I, my, our staff and our interns found out that this thing was going, they all just left. Everybody was just gone. Uh, my friends were gone. This now was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, but I almost didn't survive. I was driving my truck towards a wall on Christmas Eve, 1999. You know, I had that big 990 Motorola or 650, you know, helmet phone that they had in those days. And I'm driving my truck towards a wall and I'm going to die. And my dad calls me. It's my father heart moment again. This is about four steps into him releasing the father's heart into my life without him even knowing it. And he said, what are you doing, son? And I said, I'm driving my truck towards the wall, dad. And he said, yeah, I know. God just told me. He said, I want you to pull your truck into the movie theater and I want you to go see a movie tonight because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you in prayer. I'm going to hold you in fasting. And you don't have to do anything but go see a movie. Will you do that for me, son? And I said, yeah, dad, I'll do that for you. So I pulled in and I saw a stupid football movie any given Sunday and I cry every time I watch it now. Um, I was living up at the YWAM base in a little room and this guy named Fred Market would just play his electric guitar all night so it soothed my soul so I could get a little sleep. And... Um, <clears throat> Out of that, I had to kidnap my boys. I was going to leave the country. And then I got into course, and it took us three years. And that's when I met Lisa. She kept me alive. You know, Eve is, means lifesaver. She came to my life and started reminding me who I was again. She was widowed and been alone for five years. And it was a big controversy in our city. Um, and she just loved me back to life. It was incredible. Um, 20 years ago. Uh, and so out of that... Um, we started doing companies, we started doing businesses, and then had an encounter with Seth and Andrew, and that's a whole other story. Incredible encounter. And the world race happened, and we, start, we moved to Africa, all eight of us, and uh, that ended miserably, and I got back to America, and I just felt a failure at 40. I felt like a complete failure. You know, the number one suicide rate, or one of the number one suicide rates in the country now is 50-year-old men. Because we do everything transactional and from cognitive head, and so we get to 50 and we're like, my kids are transactional. My marriage is transactional. I've made all this money and life means nothing. And so they're taking their lives. It's an epidemic. And then if they don't do that, they're dead at 40 and buried at 70. They're just dead anyway. That's why we go silent. And God literally saved my life from some of the stuff that happened in it. Because I had to learn how to hold it. Right? So anyway, I get... Four few years into this thing, I encounter Seth again. He's like, we got to get you to Andrew. I just started a company and franchised it in 32 states. There's no way I was moving to Spain. He said, you'll be there by the fall. By the fall, we sold everything and we were there. That's why I say, don't go sit on his porch. We didn't even own a spoon. 
<laughs> when we moved to Spain. It was Lisa and I and our youngest, our sixth son. He was 13 at the time. Little Noah, now he's 17-year-old Noah. And about a month being there, Andrew had a little conference with the ministry that he had. And all these guys were gathering. Andrew said, just come and hang out. You don't have to do anything. Don't minister. Don't do anything. I'll keep everybody away from you. But just come and hang out. So I went in our little chapel there. We had a little house called Me House. We've got a chapel up there. And all these people are in the room. And everybody's singing and prophesying. And it's awesome. And I'm just sitting over in the corner. i hating it, to be quite honest. And this woman, about 30 years old, walks up to me. And she's shaking. She's holding her baby. And she says, I've never done this before. I've never given a prophetic word, but God's making me come here and tell you something. Can I prophesy over you? Little Dutch girl. The Dutchies are awesome. And I said, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Wide open heart. Soft man. Loving this little girl. Whatever. (laughs) She said, she she read my mail. She told me everything I had done. You've preached millions. You've gone here. You lived in Africa. God's going to restore that a hundredfold, he told me. But first he wanted me to tell you something that I don't know how to say. And I said, okay. Now, she had my attention because she read some pretty good details in my life. And she said, God showed me that you laid your sword down and that the enemy picked up your sword and cut your own son's throat out with your sword. And I don't know what that means. Now, the first reaction was I was coming out of my seat to say, who who do you think you are? And as I came out of my seat, I bent over in travail and I just begin to, to sob deeply from my soul. Our director now is an incredible young man named Ethan Wendell. I'd never met him. He was in the room. He came and laid hands on me, and he sat on the floor and rocked with me for about two hours. He just wept and wept and rocked with me. And then they started to worship because they didn't, you know, it was just like, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, my soul started to sing for the first time in, I think, about seven years. I started singing from my gut-level self, a worship song to the Father that I, and I didn't know that I hadn't done that in so many years. And as I began to sing, my spirit man became alive. And I, become, I just started just to, this, this process of being transformed. And I'd sit down on the med, the Mediterranean, and I'd watch the waves, and I'd hold the pain, and I'd just allow it to just transform, transform, transform. And I'm in that right now. I think it's going to be a lifetime of this. But I feel like what God wants to give you this morning is an impartation of his heart. I feel like if you want it, I feel like the Father just wants to kind of come into your heart, do a little surgery, and invite you to a space maybe that you've never gone to. Maybe you had gone before and you just kind of stopped it because, guys, our hearts get damaged. Life is hard, and it's supposed to be. Remember in Acts 9, when he calls Paul out, what does he say? Go get Paul, because I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. What a great call. We don't like to talk about suffering in, the script, in, in, our, in our Sunday morning preaching. But guys, it is our life. And life is hard. And it is the point. Us men are going to talk about this, about how we initiate the young men of the generation. There's five promises. And one of them, two of them are one is life is hard. And the last one is you're going to die. So here's where we are. Here's where I am. I don't have anything else. I'm not going anywhere else. 
There's nothing else for me except to give my life to a generation, to a multi-generational movement of God that transforms the world. Not because, again, I'm anything except an ordinary man that gets to be extraordinary when the Father shows up. And I believe the generation needs to hear that because we've told them they can do anything they want. That's not true. A five foot two little white boy can't go play pro, pro basketball, I promise you. He can't do everything he wants. I'm reading a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. We've overcoddled the generation and we've overmedicated them. And it's not about spoiling them as much as that we've just coddled their minds. Our universities coddled their minds. In the 90s, you know what we did? We had 1% of the kids get peanut allergies, so we removed all peanut butter from schools. Now it's like 90% of them have peanut allergies because they had nothing to build up their immune system. And you read one study after the other study of how we've ruined the minds, coddled the minds of the American generation. And God says, I don't want them coddled. I want them loved really, really deeply, and then I want you to slap them a little bit, kick them into gear, and let's get them going. Put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on, and let's go do something. Right? We don't need to go to university and get stuck. 77% of our Christian kids go to university and lose their faith. We need global use, like Seth has. We need, we need not to go into debt, $80,000 in debt. Come on, Jesus. We need to go get educated and go give our lives to the Father. Whatever he, I want you to be an entrepreneur. I want you to be a business developer. I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to be all those things, but I want you to do it in the kingdom. Yeah. I want you to do it with a, a fiery heart that says, I'm going to transform every heart that I meet. Everyone that I meet is going to change. They're going to look like the garden because that's what I look like now. Transform people, transform people. Amen? Let's pray, can we? Go ahead and stand up if you'd like. Or kneel down. I'm going to invite the Father just to walk in the room and do what he wants to do. I almost just said, I hope I have not offended anybody, but I actually hope I have offended some people. I'm sorry, I am very passionate about this um, for you, for a generation. So if you'll just have a conversation with the Father between you and Him, what could this look like for me? What, what pain do I need to be transformed through? What addiction can I ask why it's there and learn from it and then move on from it? What sin issue in my life that's hidden that I don't want anybody to know can I expose and confess and get rid of? James 5 says, if we confess our sins to one another, we're healed. So if we confess to the Father, he says he forgives us, and he doesn't even remember our sin, he says. But then James says, if we confess it to one another, that we're healed. And I'm interested in, in doing this, running with healed kingdom people. Not perfect people. Not people that have it all together. Not people that know how to talk a good religious talk. Not people that necessarily even know how to go to church. I'm wanting to do this life, we're wanting to do this life with transformed, broken, humble, 
ordinary people that understand they have to train their senses, that understand this, and I want you to keep your eyes closed, please. I know Jeremiah 17 says that our heart is wicked above all things. The Old Testament heart was wicked. Hebrews 10 says this, that he cleanses our hearts, that he cleanses and cleans our soul, that our hearts are actually pure as a triune New Testament believer, that I am not a sinful, horrible person. I am a pure-hearted, beautiful, godly person that finds it easy to have a relationship with Jesus moment to moment, day by day, in every area of my life. Because I live from a pure, clean heart. And when I get off a little bit, number one, I just confess it immediately. I'm just a man of confession. And then number two, I risk my heart again to trust what the Father's going to do and what people are doing around me. The number one way you keep your heart open is risk, guys. And I know it's hard because I know our hearts are damaged. So just take a few minutes and just have a conversation and then as God says something to you, just go ahead and pray it out. If it's confession, if it's just life for us, whatever that is. To live as Jesus did, to live from our hearts, we have to turn 180 degrees. When we get to a place of healing and living our Christian life experientially, we begin, we begin to feel Jesus literally living his life through our hearts. It's not enough to say, I know that Jesus loves me. When we live experiential Christianity, we feel Jesus' love for us. We feel his life being lived through us. We feel his very own compassion for others. We feel his forgiveness for ourselves and for others. We feel his, not our humility. We feel his faith, his obedience, and his desires to please the Father if we are living experiential Christianity. The last prayer I want to pray for you, and we're going to break into our groups, is that we actually get our childlike heart back. A spontaneous, fully alive, creative heart that just knows, because the heart just knows the heart of an undamaged child at age five knows when evil walks in the room. It knows what it wants to wear. It knows what it wants to eat. It, it's spontaneous. It's creative. It draws. It, it doesn't care what people think. It doesn't care about the 401k. It's a sponta spontaneous heart. And Jesus said to his disciples, unless you come to me like this little child, you will not enter my kingdom. And so therefore, he says, you want to live a kingdom life, you need to get your childlike, not your childish heart back, your undamaged childlike heart. He wants to heal that place in your heart. So our last prayer as we gather together in our little groups, and I want you to continue this, is Father, close your eyes, just say, Father, I want you to restore my childlike heart. I want my heart so healed that I'm spontaneous again that I do like you did. You always had compassion and then you moved. I want to feel your compassion for everyone around me. I want to love myself and I want to love my neighbor. And oh yes, I want to make my enemies even sacred. I want to love my enemies as you tell us to do. Father, how do we do that? Except by an open heart, by a childlike heart. 
Father, I bless every one of these people. I bless their, their, their minds. I bless their hearts. I bless their bodies. I bless their health. Father, I ask you to hem them in and wreck them in their hearts. I ask that every one of us in this room would become students of the scripture and learn what it means to live from that place in our hearts, to love ourselves really, really well, to love our neighbor, our family, our friends really, really well, and to love our enemies really, really well. That God, we could actually get to an Ephesians 4 unity where you could step back down on this earth and bring your kingdom. And that we can join you in the trumpet blast and become the second coming with you, become that life with you, to see this world filled with your whole glory. Habakkuk says what? He's going to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea with his glory. We win this thing, guys. We win this thing through love because love is the point. Amen. Hey, my, my mom passed a couple years, a few years ago from pulmonary lung disease. And the last six months of her life, she just prayed in tongues the whole time. She just had her arms raised and prayed in the spirit. We have video and pictures of her. When she would be in the hospital, we'd come to the hospital and all the nurses and doctors would be in her room having their lunch break. And we, my dad and I asked, what are you doing in here? And they're like, we're, our hearts get warm when we're in this room. We don't know why, but we just want to do all our lunch breaks in here. She couldn't talk or move. She was a woman of the heart. And my dad sent me, he, he reads her Bible every night. He didn't realize what he had when he had her. He reads her Bible every night, and in her Bible the other day, she lit, he read me this quote, and she said, it's not enough just to love myself. It's not enough just to love my neighbor. It's, it's, it's that my enemies are sacred too. And she, that was one of the last things she wrote in her Bible. She was kind of living halfway in heaven and halfway on earth. She died one night. She told my dad she was going and passing and just to hold her. And she passed and she got cold. And she began to warm up about 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And she came back to life. And she looked at my dad and she said, who are you? And he said, honey, it's me, your husband. She said, who are you? And he said, Judy, it's Dwayne, your husband. And she said, I met you in heaven just now. And that's not your name in heaven. <laughs> and then she came too. And she lived another three, few months. We, we were, we are, and we're already there. And we get new names in heaven. Can we start living like that? Can we start living with an eternal heart? Ecclesiastes says he puts eternity in our hearts. Can we start living from that heart? Amen. Do you want to break into our groups? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Break into our groups, and let's just keep this going. If there's more confession that you need to do, let's do that. If there's just healing or life that you need to speak into one another, let's just do that. Amen.